Hi, this is Lisa DeLay, and I'm your host of the Spark My Muse podcast, and this is Soul School Lesson 160, An Inert Way of Knowing. Today I'm going to be reading some excerpts from The Courage to Teach, Exploring the Inner Landscape of a Teacher's Life, from the 10th edition by Parker J. Palmer. But I'm not going to be reading so that you can get some advice about how to teach classrooms. This actually has to do with broader issues that we're facing as a country in the United States and in places around the world. How do we talk to each other? How do we, as communities, speak to each other when we have different points of view, when we come from different sides of the political spectrum, or when we disagree? And how do we know what we know? And how do we know that what we know is true? These are topics that are covered in Parker Palmer's book that is addressed to teachers, but also more broadly to leaders and to those of us who want to be good communicators and want to see things put to rights. I'm going to start reading on page 51 and read to page 55, not in its entirety, but some excerpts. And I hope that as I do this, you will see the power and wisdom in these words from Parker Palmer. And he brings in a lot of other wise voices into the mix, too. I found this to be profound as I was looking through this book for a specific quote that I never found about building relationships and building trust. I came across this fantastic piece of insight that I thought spoke directly to some of the issues we're facing right now in our country. This section title is called Our Fearful Way of Knowing. A mode of knowing arises from the way we answer two questions at the heart of the educational mission. I just want to pull back and say, when I say things like teacher or student or educational mission, I hope that you will, in your own mind, broaden that to community and civic duties and citizens. A mode of knowing arises from the way we answer two questions at the heart of our civic mission. How do we know what we know? And by what warrant can we call our knowledge true? Our answers may be largely tacit, even unconscious, but they are continually communicated in the way we teach and learn, and I would add, our citizens. If we regard truth as something handed down from authorities on high, it will soon look like a dictatorship. If we regard truth as a fiction determined by personal whim. The classroom, or our world, will look like anarchy. If we regard truth as emerging from a complex process of mutual inquiry, it will look like a resourceful and interdependent community. Our assumptions about knowing can open up or shut down the capacity for connectedness on which good teaching depends, or good living depends. Our mode of knowing that dominates education creates disconnections between teachers, their subjects, and their students because it is rooted in fear. This mode, called objectivism, portrays truth as something we can achieve only by disconnecting ourselves, physically and emotionally, from the thing we want to know. Why? Because if we get too close to it, the impure contents of our subjective lives will contaminate the thing and our knowledge of it, no matter what it is. 
an episode in history, a creature from the wild, a passage in great literature, or a phenomenon of human behavior. Objectivism claims that we know the things of the world truly and well, only from afar. For objectivism, the subjective self is the enemy most to be feared. A Pandora's box of opinion, bias, and ignorance that will distort our knowledge once the lid flies open. We keep the lid shut by relying exclusively on reason and facts, logic and data, that cannot be swayed by subjective desire, or so the theory goes. The role of the mind and the senses in this scheme is not to connect us to the world, but to hold the world at bay, lest our knowledge of it be tainted. In objectivism, subjectivity is feared not only because it contaminates things, but because it creates relationships between those things and us, and relationships are contaminating as well. When a thing ceases to be an object and becomes a vital interactive part of our lives, whether it is a work of art, an indigenous people, or an ecosystem, it might get a grip on us, biasing us toward it, thus threatening the purity of our knowledge once again. So objectivism, driven by fear, keeps us from forging relationships with the things of the world. Its modus operandi is simple. When we distance ourselves from something, it becomes an object. When it becomes an object, it no longer has life. When it is lifeless, it cannot touch or transform us. So our knowledge of the thing remains pure. For objectivism, any way of knowledge that requires subjective involvement between the knower and the known is regarded as primitive, unreliable, or even dangerous. The intuitive is derided as irrational, True feeling is dismissed as sentimental, the imagination is seen as chaotic and unruly, and storytelling is labeled as personal and pointless. Years ago, Alfred North Whitehead declared that inert ideas were the bane of higher education, deadening the process of teaching and learning for students and teachers alike. But for objectivism, the only good idea is an inert idea. This way of knowing may render the world lifeless, but that, says its proponents, is a small price to pay for what they call objective truth. I have not forgotten that objectivism originated in part to save us from the evils of reckless subjectivity. The victims of the Black Death would have benefited from objective knowledge that their suffering was caused by fleas from infected rats, not by offenses against God. The countless women burned at the stake because someone called them witches bear mute testimony to the cruelties that subjectivity can breed. Objectivism set out to point truth on firmer ground that the whims of princes and priests, and for that we can be grateful. But history is full of ironies, and one of them is the way objectivism has bred new versions of the same evils it tried to correct. Two examples come quickly to mind, the rise of modern dictatorships and the character of contemporary warfare.
A good case can be made that objectivism, which is intended to free people from the clutches of arbitrary power, has sometimes conspired with other forces to deliver modern people into the clutches of totalitarianism. As people became convinced that objective answers to all questions were possible, and as specialists emerged who were glad to give those answers, people began to distrust their own knowledge and turn to authorities for truth. Thus, the stage was set for, quote, authorities, unquote, with a political agenda to seize power at moments of social vulnerability, proclaiming, I alone know the truth that will save you. Fall in and follow me. The cruelties of modern warfare are another outcome of objectivity run amok. Just as the cruelties of the witch hunt were the consequence of subjectivity gone mad, many Americans found the Gulf War acceptable, even popular, because it was fought with a technology that allows us to do violence to others at distances that kept us safe. We killed tens of thousands of Iraqis in the Gulf War, but all we saw were shadowy images of destruction. Images were applauded in TV rooms throughout the land, so grateful for the capacity to kill at great remove. Why does objectivism conspire with totalitarianism and violence? From the outset, the objectivist impulse is more than a quest for truth. It was a fear-driven overkill of the subjectivity that made the pre-modern world dangerous. Objectivism was never content to quarantine subjectivity in order to stop its spread. It aimed at killing the germ of, quote, self, unquote, to secure objective truth. Just as dictators kill dissenters to secure, quote, the public order, unquote, and warriors kill the enemy to secure, quote, peace, unquote, Quote, killing of the self, unquote, is not an image of my invention. It can be found at the heart of the subjectivist literature itself. A century ago, when objectivism was in full flower, the philosopher Karl Parson wrote an influential book called The Grammar of Science, in which he made a classic case for objective knowledge, arguing that, quote, the habit of forming a judgment upon facts unbiased by personal feeling is characteristic of what may be termed the scientific frame of mind, unquote. Unfortunately, Pearson accompanied his classic case with a classic Freudian slip, saying, quote, the scientific man has above all things to strive at self-elimination in his judgments, unquote. Some may call it ambiguous diction, but I call it prophecy. In a century since Pearson wrote, Objectivism has pursued its goal of eliminating the self with considerable success when a student must ask me if he can use I in an autobiography. My case against objectivism has been normative to this point, but an even more telling case can be made against this mode of knowing. It fails to give a faithful account of how knowing actually happens even at the heart of science itself. No scientist knows the world merely by holding it at arm's length. If we ever managed to build the objectivist wall between the knower and the known, we could know nothing except the wall itself. Science requires an engagement with the world, a live encounter between the knower and the known. The encounter has moments of distance, but it would not be an encounter without moments of intimacy as well. Knowing of any sort is relational, animated by a desire to come into deeper community with what we know. 
why does the historian study the, quote, dead past? To reveal how much of it lives in us today. Why does a biologist study the, quote, mute, unquote, nature of the world? To allow us to hear its voice speaking of how intertwined we are in life's ecology. But why does a literary scholar study the world of, quote, fiction, unquote? To show us that the facts can never be understood except in communion with the imagination. Knowing is how we make community with the unavailable other, with realities that would elude us without the connective tissue of knowledge. Knowing is a human way to seek relationship and in the process to have encounters and exchanges that will inevitably alter us. At its deepest reaches, knowing is always communal. relation I want to make here is what Palmer talks about in relationship to knowing and to solving problems and to moving through difficult times of conflict. It involves knowing each other, not at a distance, but in communion and communication. A lot of times we live in ways that polarize us so fully. We see each other only at a distance, and we might think this gives us objectivity, but in fact, it is self-eliminating, and it is other-eliminating. And for those reasons, it is inherently dehumanizing. Anytime we are looking at something in what we think is objectivity, of course, it never really is, because we have hidden influencers that make us not objective at all. The better choice is to understand that the subject at hand is something we see subjectively and something people see subjectively with their own perspectives. Instead, we can use inquiry and ask inquiry from others on the same subject and not pretend that objectivity is the way we can know something. It is an unfolding, ongoing dialogue to get closer and closer to the truth through time and understanding and continual work. This goes for the sciences, and this goes for our civic duties and our human relations. So inert ways of knowledge really bring us nowhere, and communal ways of knowledge are generative. As we move through a time of confusion and possibly grief and loss and the unknown, I ask that you take the risk of not trying to be objective, but trying to get to know in more intimate ways the subject at hand from a variety of different angles of whatever is troubling you or getting your attention. And I recommend Parker Palmer's book, even to those who aren't teachers. His book, Courage to Teach, is a lot about relating and thinking and how we learn and know and grow. I thank you so much for joining me on Spark My Muse. And I invite you to go to patreon.com forward slash sparkmymuse to see other news that's happening on that website. And please support the show if you're able.